Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone. This episode of Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki, which is a really good service that you can use to find native speakers for one-to-one lessons, um, for your spoken fluency, or pretty much anything you want. Um, you can find, you can search for teachers using italki, and they have many, many different types of teacher uh, who specialize in teaching different aspects of English. So check it out at uh, teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk. And uh, when you buy some lessons, italki will send you a voucher, which is worth a hundred italki credits. Okay. All right, then. So there you go. Now let's uh, start this episode. And here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. You are listening to episode number 385 of this podcast, which is for learners of English. I decided to start this episode with the same music as in the last episode, just because I like it. And it seems that some of you out there liked it too. I had a few responses to the music, which... um, sounds kind of cool and yet serious at the same time. I suppose it's appropriate for this episode because I'll be talking about ways in which you can break through a plateau that you might be experiencing in your learning of English. I'm talking about breaking the intermediate plateau. So I'm talking about serious things about learning English and your methods and your attitude to learning this language. So it sounds a bit serious, doesn't it? Yes, it does. This is that bit in the song where it just stays on one note for ages. Just the same notes again and again until eventually it goes back to the original note. This is exactly the same thing that happened at the, be- at the beginning of the last episode. Same note, same one single note, not very complicated. Until, oh, there we go. We go back to uh, the original sequence. Pretty simple stuff, but effective. Simple, but effective. This music was made by my brother, James. In fact, let's see. I got a comment on the last episode about this music. Uh, Where is that comment? I'm now searching to find it. Uh, It was from a listener called Stan. And Stan said, hello, Luke. May I know more about your brother's music? The background music of this episode. It's so cool. Can I download or listen to it online anywhere? Well, Stan, yes, you can. In fact, I replied to Stan saying this. Hello, Stan. I did an episode about my brother's music a couple of years ago. It's episode 234, which is called Making Tunes with My Brother. And you can listen to it here. So if you find... um, the episode archive on my website, 
Look for episode 234. There is an interview with my brother, and it's all about his music, how he makes the the music and uh, his whole creative process. And also, you can find a lot of his stuff on SoundCloud and and on another website called Bandcamp. Um, if you go to SoundCloud and search for JT2000, you can find a lot of that stuff there. Okay. Um, and Stan replied saying, thank you, Luke. I will listen to that episode. You've got so many episodes. It's almost impossible to listen to all of them. I especially like unscripted episodes where you chat with your friends or relatives. Well, Stan, you should listen to episode, what was it, 234? Yeah, you should listen to episode 234 because it is an uh, unscripted conversation with uh, my brother. And if you're interested in the music, then check out that episode and you'll find it in the episode archive, number 234. Okay, then. So... This episode is about ways that you can push your English to higher levels, even if you feel that your progress is stuck or moving very slowly. I'm talking about a very common phenomenon in English learning, in fact in any language, uh, called the intermediate plateau, and this usually happens at an intermediate level. Um, I wonder if this applies to you. Um, As a learner of English, um, how do you feel that your English has progressed over the years? Um, if you could draw a line to describe the, the progress that you've made over the years, uh, what would that line look like? Would it be a, a sort of straight diagonal line from nothing all the way up to the position you are now, just one straight line? Or would it be a wavy line or a curved line? How would you describe your, your um, language learning progress in English? Um, I'm talking about the intermediate plateau here. And by the way, the word plateau basically means a sort of a level, um, a kind of like a level surface, an area of, of fairly level high ground. Um, for example, it could be if you've got like a, a mountain which goes up and then there's a flat section at the top, uh, that's a plateau. Or if you're climbing up a hill and you're going up a, a slope and then you get to a flat section, that flat section, flat section is the plateau. Um, also... Plateau refers to a state of, of no change following a period of progress. So period of progress followed by a flat section. That, that flat section is called a plateau. Okay. Um, so how do, you, um, how do you feel about your English progress? progress? Um, and the plateau, that's right, the, Engli- the uh, intermediate plateau. Uh, it's quite a common thing that people uh, feel like their progress is not developing anymore and that they're just on the same level uh, and uh, they want to know why and how to break through that. Um, and it often happens at the intermediate level. So um, if this applies to you, if you've ever experienced a plateau in your learning, I would very much like to read your thoughts. So please do write in the comments section of this episode. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the mailing list to get a link to the page for each episode uh, sent to your inbox. That's the quickest way to get straight to the page for every episode. Um, you'll automatically get an email with a link and that bing, you'll be bing. Bing! You'll be straight into the page for the episode, and then you can leave your comments and things like that. You can subscribe easily on my website, teacherluke.co.uk. And just before we get into the uh, intermediate plateau and the ways in which you can break through it, um, let me just also mention that the Luke's English Podcast Anecdote Competition is almost closed. In fact, it closes today at midnight. So any entries uh, that I get after midnight today, 
Um, that's Central European time, and the date today is the 5th of October. Uh, any entries I get after midnight today won't count, okay? So uh, midnight is the deadline. And remember that you only have five minutes, a maximum of five minutes for your anecdote. Uh, I will upload an episode very soon about the whole anecdote competition to tell you what's going to happen next. And you will uh, be able to listen and vote for your favorite anecdotes. Um, okay, so that's that's all I wanted to say. Subscribe to the mailing list. The anecdote competition is uh, coming along. So now, let's talk about the intermediate plateau and how to push your English to new levels, even if you feel like your progress has stalled. Um, you'll find a lot of what I'm saying transcribed on the page for this episode. I've prepared myself for this episode, um, and uh, because it's kind of an in-depth one, I've done some preparation. So a lot of what I'm saying is written down. Um, um, also, I will be improvising quite a lot as well. I'm going to try and mix it up between transcribed sections, which you can read on the page for the episode, and just sort of improvised bits where I go off script. Okay, so let's let's talk about the intermediate plateau. What is it? Uh, why does it happen? And how can you get out of it? Okay, um, generally, um, this doesn't just apply to students at an intermediate level. This also applies to generally... Uh, making progress and continuing to make progress with your English, even when you feel like your learning has kind of uh, plateaued, okay? Um, and by the way, why am I talking about this subject on the podcast today? Well, in the last episode, I talked to you about um, the things I've been teaching recently in my classes. Um, and I told you that I've got an intermediate group of students. And um, so naturally, I've just been thinking about the needs and the sort of... Um, uh, the experiences of intermediate learners of English and um, thinking about giving them good advice for their English. And one of the things I thought about was um, ways in which they could sort of develop from intermediate students to advanced students. And so um, I thought that I would uh, tell them about the intermediate plateau and give them some advice. And then I thought, why not make a podcast episode about it too? Uh, but this isn't just about intermediate students. It's also, I think, generally about how any... Uh, any student at any level, particularly higher levels, can continue to push their English further. So people often get stuck at an intermediate level. Uh, they feel like their English is not improving as fast as it did before. And in fact, sometimes it feels like you can't progress further and that your learning is blocked. And it's very frustrating. Uh, this applies to moving from intermediate to a higher level, but much of it can be applied to making progress at a higher level too. So let's start with the um, definition of what intermediate means. Okay, um, so uh, moving from intermediate to advanced is a tricky phase in English progress, uh, and it often takes longer than moving from elementary to intermediate. The 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 uh, the yeah, the progress that you make from elementary to in intermediate can be quite quick, really. But moving from intermediate to advanced seems to be harder, uh, more mysterious. In fact, it's difficult to make the distinction between intermediate and advanced. It's difficult to define the difference, really. It starts to get a little bit less... Um, sort of tangible what the difference is, whereas the difference between elementary and intermediate is obvious. And you can break it down to some very simple, uh, you know, grammatical points and certain aspects of fluency and stuff like that. Intermediate to advanced, though, is slightly more complicated. And that's part of the problem. It's difficult for people to know 
uh, how they should be judging their progress and in what areas they should be making progress and exactly what that progress really means. Um, now, let's look at um, descriptions of an intermediate level and an advanced level of English. And I'm now going to talk about the Common European Framework of Reference again, which is a, uh, a pan-European system which is used to measure uh, language level. And it works across all languages, English, French, German, Spanish, you know, any European language uh, uses the Common European Framework of Reference. I talked about it in the last episode. We have basically a kind of elementary, intermediate and advanced broken down into several sections in each one. Um, and intermediate is basically B1 or B2. And then advanced is basically C1, C2 as well. C2 is like proficiency. So B1 is intermediate. B2 is technically upper intermediate. Um, uh, a, uh, C1 is advanced and C2 um, sort of uh, proficiency or advanced, advanced or something like that. So let's look at B1. And here are some descriptions of what a student at an intermediate level can do. So a student, an intermediate B1 student can understand the main points of clear standard input on familiar matters regularly encountered in work, school, leisure, etc. So that means that, for example, you can understand, you can listen to, uh, for example, an episode of my podcast about a familiar subject and you can understand it, especially if, if the, uh, the recording is clear, uh, the way in which I'm speaking is standard. Um, so let's say, for example, uh, you, know, you can understand this let's say. But if if um, talking about learning English is a familiar subject for you, then, um, you know, b at least B1 level would mean that you can understand what I'm saying, okay? Because I think that uh, uh, what I'm saying is clear um, and it's on a fairly familiar subject, all right? So that's B1 uh, for, for that. Uh, also, a B1 student can deal with most situations likely to arise while traveling in an area where the language is spoken. Traveling. Okay, so this means that if you have gone on holiday to an English-speaking country, basically you should be able to ask for directions, you should be able to buy things in shops, you should be able to buy tickets and things like that. Just the basics that you'd need for traveling. Okay. Uh, also, a B1 level student can produce simple connected text on topics that are familiar or of personal interest. So that means that you could, you know, if I asked you to write 250 words about your recent holiday, that you'd be able to do it. Or if I asked you to write 250 words on your job and the things you do in your job, then you should be able to do that as well. So it's basically things about yourself, a fairly simple uh, text in which the ideas are connected and it's something that you know about quite well. Okay, And also a B1 student can describe experiences and events, dreams, hopes and ambitions and briefly give reasons and explanations for opinions and plans. Okay, So that's talking about um, your ability to express yourself probably in speaking there. And if you look more carefully at that, then it kind of under the surface of that line there is a lot of grammar. For example, if you can describe experiences 
and events, then basically it means that you can use your narrative tenses to describe something that happened to yourself. Dreams, that means that you can use certain types of language to talk about the future. So will and certain verbs like hope and and so on. Um, Ambitions, uh, that means you're talking about intentions and uh, plans for the future. Um, reasons and explanations that means that you kind of uh, you're able to um, develop your ideas with certain linking expressions and things like that Uh, opinions and plans so you you know you know the difference between using going to and will and present continuous for the future okay so that's a little overview of uh, b1 level now let's now compare that to c1 so this is um, the common european framework description for c1 abilities so if, if you're at a C1 level, you should be able to do these things. So you should be able to understand a wide range of demanding longer clauses and recognize implicit meaning. So that means that um, you can understand more complex English. So not just simplified stuff, but, um, for example, a piece of text that's written with these very long clauses. Um, I mean, for example, it could be legal English for example, you know, the language that's used in contracts, the way they uh, make uh, sentences in contracts tend to be very long, and they tend to have lots of clauses in them. And, um, you know, they could be connected by one single um, connector, like if or but, but the sentence, in fact, has got three or four different clauses in it. And you can follow the whole thing. Or it might be a a very descriptive passage of, uh, of a book, that includes complex sentences where there's inversions and the word order has been changed in order to emphasize certain things and you're able to follow the whole thing and also understand the implicit meaning. That means um, messages which are not specifically stated but hinted at, suggested. So you're able to read between the lines and not just in reading but also in listening. That you, you'd be able to listen to longer stretches of dialogue and understand specifically things that are not being stated or understand things that are being suggested, understand the subtleties, little jokes and things like that. Okay? Um, so that's understanding. Um, at C1 level, you should be able to express your ideas fluently and spontaneously without much obvious searching for expressions. So that's a question of fluency. So you're able to speak fluently without lots of pausing, without without having to think a lot about what it is you're going to say next. Uh, C1 level people should be able to use language flexibly and effectively for social, academic and professional purposes. So that means that you're able to kind of um, adapt your language to the situation. For example, if you're using it for academic purposes or professional purposes, you're able to adopt the correct register the style of English that's appropriate for those things. For example, if you are uh, writing an academic essay, the style is going to be quite different to uh, an account of your holiday or an email to a friend uh, or something like that. Okay. Similarly, if you're giving an academic presentation, uh, you're going to speak in a slightly more formal style than the kind of than, than the way that you would do uh, that if you were just telling a social anecdote or something. Okay, so you're able to adapt uh, your language to the situation um, and that you've got a sense of the different formality levels or different styles of English uh, for different situations. And finally, someone at C1 level should be able to produce clear, well-structured, 
uh, detailed text on complex subjects showing controlled use of organizational patterns, connectors, and cohesive devices. So, for example, you'd be able to produce uh, like a really uh, persuasive uh, piece of writing about a complex subject. For example, if, if you had to write an essay like my students at university have to write, it could be an essay about politics. For example, you know, should the UK leave the European Union? And if you can write um, an essay in which you present a persuasive argument on that, in which you, you know, use connecting devices and you use structure to, um, to counteract certain arguments and present other arguments, then you're at a C1 level, okay? Now, um, we're going to come back to some of these uh, things about things you're able to do at advanced level in a bit and how that relates to uh, making goals, specific learning goals. Um, so, okay, did you get the idea that the difference between intermediate and, and advanced, that essentially intermediate means you can basically do most things in a simple way. You can get by, you can express yourself, but C1 level is a much more sophisticated, nuanced, um, and detailed and um, adaptable form of English. Okay? Um, now, how do you know if you're at the intermediate plateau? How do you know if you are uh, experiencing this? And, and how do you know if your learning is at a plateau in general, not just at, at an intermediate level? So, how do you know if your English is, is at a plateau? Um, and also, how do you know what your level is? Now, to, to work out what your level is, like, for example, if you want to know if you're intermediate or upper intermediate or advanced or something, then there are various ways that you can do that. You could take a test. Um, you could use the criteria for the Common European Framework of Reference. Or you could consult your teacher as well, if you've got one, and ask your teacher what they think. Um, now, you will find some links on the page for this episode where you can take a test which will give you an indication of what your level is. It's not, the, it's not a complete test because it doesn't include uh, written and spoken English, but it's a general test to check your awareness of vocabulary and your use of English. Uh, you'll see some links for that uh, on the page for this episode, right? Um, but generally, yeah, you need to speak to a teacher, take a test, or just consult the Common European Framework of Reference and see what you think. Um, okay. Uh, but how do you know if you've reached the plateau? How do you know if your progress is kind of stalled? Well, um, you you might just feel it. You might just know. You just get a sensation that your English is not improving as much as it was before. And also, if you test yourself regularly, you can get an idea of, you know, how your English is progressing. Um, now, you you might have, if you're listening to this you, and you're a learner of English, you might uh, have started with a low level of English and you've probably made some effort to pull yourself up to a functional intermediate level. Um, how did you do that? Uh, perhaps you studied, maybe you've lived in an English-speaking environment in which you were forced to learn the language. So if you have made it to an intermediate level, then you can basically express yourself and get by in most situations. But if you're under stress or when it's a new situation, uh, then your English might crumble. Um, or perhaps you have a jagged profile. A jagged profile, that means that your profile is like ups and downs. Uh, it might be that you're very good in one area, but you're bad in another area. So you're high in one area and low in another area. 
for example, you might be very good at reading and writing, but your spoken English might be a disaster. Or perhaps you're great at oral communication, your spoken English is really good, but you can't write properly, you can't write full sentences, you don't know how to spell properly, and so on. Um, it might be that you can laugh, talk, and uh, have fun in English when you're with your fellow native English speakers. Sorry, not native English speakers. I'll start that bit again. You can, you can talk, you can laugh, you can have fun in English when you're with your fellow non-native speakers. For example, if you've got a group of uh, learners of English that you take English lessons with, you might sit around and have fun speaking English with them and understand it, uh, each other. But as soon as you're with a group of native speakers, you suddenly feel lost and you don't understand the humour. Does this ring a bell? If this is all true, then it might mean that you're at that intermediate plateau. Okay, here's another one. If you really concentrate and focus, then you can watch a film or TV show in English and understand most of it, especially if you have the English subtitles on. But if you um, go to the cinema, for example, and the cinema is full of native English speakers and you watch a comedy film or something, then you realise how little you understand because everyone else is laughing, but you're just sitting there wondering what's going on. And you feel a bit weird, you assume that everyone is a bit stupid or that they have no taste and the movie's rubbish. In fact, uh, you just don't understand the jokes um, in the movie. So you're, you're lacking that subtlety or the ability to um, understand nuance or understand things that are being suggested or hinted at. Okay, now if, if those things that I've just said seem familiar to you, then you might be at the intermediate plateau as well. So, you know, list, just sort of like... Um, judge your own English based on experience, but also, as I said, you could take tests, you can speak to, the, speak to a teacher, uh, take a look at the Common European Framework of Reference and think about uh, uh, which uh, descriptors uh, uh, match your experience. Um, why do people hit an intermediate plateau? Why does this happen? Well, um, I think that essentially at an intermediate level, you can basically survive, you know, you can basically survive with an intermediate level of English. In fact, you can get by with about 3,000 words. It's kind of like a minimum operational number of words that you can basically survive with. If you learn about 3,000 words, you can basically get by, you can communicate pretty well in most situations. Whereas the average native speaker is able to use about 20,000 words. So that's the difference between a basic operational intermediate level of English and a fully rounded vocabulary of a native speaker. It's a lot of words. Um, so that might be part of it, that you get to a certain point where you're able to survive and it, you know, because you are not being challenged in the same way as you were before, your English doesn't uh, progress as much. Um, also, it's a question of um, how you perceive your learning. And... Uh, in many cases, there is a suspected learning curve. Remember at the beginning of the episode, I said to you, how would you draw a line to, to um, illustrate your learning of English, your progress? What would that line look like? It seemed, and, and this line, by the way, is uh, often referred to as the learning curve because it's not usually a straight line. Usually there's a curved uh, line to reflect uh, the experience of learning something. So I think the suspected learning curve um, for many people is uh, linear. People expect it to be a, a straight line, like a perfect straight line 
of progress from point A to point B. Um, but it doesn't work like that. Um, because at the beginning, when you start to learn, the curve is very steep. It's like climbing a very steep hill. Everything's difficult. Okay, It's all a challenge and you're struggling all the way through, like a big challenge at the beginning. So a very steep curve at the start. Uh, and then when you've got through the early stages and you can basically express yourself and understand other people, the challenge becomes less. And so you, uh, the, 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 the sort of um, gradient of the slope that you're climbing gets easier. Okay, So the mountain you're climbing suddenly gets a little bit easier. So you're able to basically talk and understand people. And at that point, it's much harder to see the progress that you're making your progress becomes more shallow, and also there's less stress involved, okay? Um, now, um, so that, that's part of it. The difference between what you expected and what you're actually experiencing is, is a factor there, that you expect it to be the same level of challenge all the way through the process, but in fact, after a certain amount of time, the challenge drops off, but there's still a big difference between where you are and, let's say, the top of the mountain, now, uh, um, also, there's a lot of up and down. People expect the learning to continue in a straight line, but they don't realize that it also goes up and down a lot. So it doesn't just uh, become uh, a plateau. It also goes up and down. And so there are periods where you're learning a lot, and there are periods where you're not learning very much, uh, periods where your English seems to be really good, and periods where it's just sort of struggling slightly. So there's a lot of up and down. So the actual learning curve is a bit more like a bell or like a, a curved line. Um, so it's steep at the beginning and it gets shallower later on. And also there are many ups and downs in there too. Um, ultimately, the more of a language that you learn, the less there is to learn. So it is a process of diminishing returns. That since, you know, at the beginning you know nothing. And so every single thing that happens to you uh, seems like a massive step. And the more of those steps you make, uh, then comparatively, the less progress you seem to make, right? It's a bit like the experience we have of aging, you know? Like when we get older, it seems like time is moving so much faster, right? Um, and it seems like each year that passes is less significant than the next. That's because when you're a child, let's say you're five years old, um, one year of your life at that point is like a fifth of your life, that's a massive amount um, to a five-year-old. One year is like a, a really long time because they haven't experienced that much time in their whole existence. So compared to the experience they've already had, one year is like a quarter or a fifth of their whole life. But then when you get to 50, one year by comparison is much, much smaller compared to all the time that you've already experienced. So one year then becomes a 50th of your life. Similarly, when you're learning English, uh, a lesson you learn at the beginning seems like a huge step. But then when you learn something else much, much later on, it actually seems like quite a small step compared to all the rest of the English that you've already picked up. So although you're still learning, it can feel like you're learning more slowly. Okay. And also because it's less of a challenge later on, because you're feeling less stress and because um, you know, you're able to do more, then it somehow feels less significant uh, later on. Okay, um, now also it's about comfort zone. Um, 
when you are at that operational intermediate level, you're basically quite comfortable. Um, as I said, there's less stress. Um, and so um, you're, you, it's, it's very easy to stay within your comfort zone when you've got to an intermediate level. And you actually have to go out of your way and make an effort to uh, challenge your English um, like, like you were challenged at an elementary level. Because at an elementary level, just opening your mouth and just having a basic conversation was a challenge. Like Every single thing was a challenge. And so it was a constant uphill struggle. But then when you get to intermediate, it's very easy to slip into a sort of comfort zone where you're not challenged anymore and therefore progress becomes um, less, uh, less steep. Um, also, at an intermediate level, your goals and your study habits are, are not as well defined. Often the first goal that you have when you're learning English is just to get out of that painful confusion that you experienced at the beginning. You know, that just experience that confusion of like not being able to just form past sentences or just react immediately. It's horrible. And so often the first goal is just get out of that, just get more comfortable. But then when you do get more comfortable and you hit that intermediate level, then your goals need to be redefined and you need to come up with goals which are more achievable and more specific. And you need to match those goals to an organized study plan. Okay. So we're talking about more specific goals with a series of steps that you can take in order to get to that, uh, that goal, okay? Right, so you need to reevaluate your whole learning process when you get to intermediate, okay? All right then, now I haven't got uh, to the bit where I talk about how to break through the intermediate plateau yet. Are you still there? You're still listening? Are you still with me, ladies and gentlemen? Do I need to play this music again to wake you up? Okay, so we're halfway through the episode. And uh, it's going all right so far, don't you think? I was a little bit worried at at one point there, um, probably about 15 minutes ago, uh, because I felt like I was repeating myself again and again and again and again and again. And to be honest, I probably was. But that's just what I do on this podcast, isn't it? Yes, it is. How about you? You're probably thinking, this is all well and good, Luke. I understand what you're saying, but how can I get out of this plateau that you're talking about? What can I actually do? Give me some specific advice. Okay, I'm going to do that. I will give you some specific advice. And you know what? Screw the music. Let's start right now. Okay, so more specific advice. So first of all, there is no magic formula or single way to do it. All right? There's no magic thing. There's no cheat code for getting out of a plateau in your language learning. It comes down to you. It comes down to attitude, time, and practice. It's about setting goals. It's about setting a study plan and about um, following that plan and actually doing the work. Uh, don't worry if that feels all serious and sort of um, not very fun. Uh, it doesn't have to be serious and boring. Uh, you can make it fun. And also, you can, you can make it easy for yourself by doing certain things. So it doesn't have to be miserable. It's not a bad thing. Okay, it can be quite good. You well done if you got to the intermediate level. That's excellent. What you just need to do is just change a few things and just sort of start again. And you will see that if you do it right, that your English will make even more progress. Like the progress you made before, you can do that again and get to a higher level. You just have to do it right. Um, so merely getting by in the language is not enough anymore. You need to explore push it further, test yourself and increase the challenge. Right. So 
Um, first suggestion is this, and I'm going to go through a list of suggestions in no particular order. Uh, the first suggestion is follow just one subject in a lot of depth. Okay, uh, follow one subject in a lot of depth. Now, you, you want to develop a more advanced level of vocabulary and grammar, especially the vocabulary. But there is so much of it. There's so much vocab out there. How can you cover it all? Now, instead of just scraping the surface of a few topics, instead of just learning vocab in general, what you could do is try going into loads and loads of depth in just one or two topics. So let's say you just pick one topic and try and become the master of that topic. Um, so you follow a subject that you're fascinated in. Just follow that subject and read up on it and, and try to learn all of the language for that one subject. And if you do that, that will take you down a rabbit hole of English. And if you go all the way down that rabbit hole, you will learn a great deal of more complex language along the way. Not just the language for that subject, but a lot of the supporting language too at a more advanced level. Now, it's hard to learn all of the English of everything. So just focus on one specific thing and let that be your entry point into advanced English. So this means, on a practical level, finding loads of information on this single topic that you're interested in. I mean, what's the topic uh, that you're interested in? Let's say you are interested in, um, oh, I don't know, motorbikes. All right. Let's say you're, you love motorbikes and you're interested in motorbikes. So what you could do is do loads and loads of like reading and listening about motorbikes. So uh, subscribe to a motorbike magazine, um, read all the articles about motorbikes in English, uh, read a book about motorbikes, find a, find a motorbike podcast. I'm sure that there's a motorbike podcast out there. There's probably loads of them. Watch loads of motorbike videos on YouTube. Check out video documentaries about motorbikes. Check out some of those um, videos where people um, take you through how to fix your motorbike and so on. So just become the master of the motorbike, motorbike man or woman. Um, for example, right now I'm reading about the Beatles in French. I bought a book about the Beatles, which I've already read in English. And I'm reading about that in French. And it's much better than just reading stuff that I don't care about because I'm such a big Beatles fan and I already know about the subject that just simply reading about the Beatles is just a, a way to keep me interested in reading French. Because if I was reading about, I don't know, Jean-Claude and Jean-Marie go to the countryside on holiday, I don't care really about Jean-Claude and Jean-Marie on holiday. Um, um, not really. I'm, I'm much more interested in, in subjects that I would read about in my own language. So I suggest that, you know, just pursue your interests in English and you might find that it, as a result, that you're being exposed to a lot more English and because it means a lot to you personally that that English is going to sort of um, rub off on you. Now, English can rub off on you. You also will need to have a more organised approach to actually taking English and picking it up. But... Um, Reading and listening to things that you really care about can be a good way of doing it. Um, so um, learn how to talk and write about your specialist subject too. So learning one thing in a lot of detail is more achievable also than trying to learn the vocabulary of everything. And you will learn tons of vocabulary about the subject, but you'll also learn the kind of English that you need to construct and understand complex and in-depth ideas. For example, if you're um, reading or watching videos about motorbikes, 
then you're going to learn all the technical vocab about motorbikes, but also you're just going to learn all of the other like um, linking devices and cohesive devices for constructing uh, English on a on a subject like that. Um, you'll learn the English that you need to talk about processes. For example, you'll need you'll learn the English that you need to use to uh, uh, give instructions. Um, and, and that kind of thing. So not just technical terms, but also complex sentences, grammatical forms, and linking devices as well. Um, all right, so chat, that's that's the first thing. Find out about one specific subject in a lot of depth instead of lots of subjects in not very much depth. Um, next thing, challenge, challenge. So one of the reasons that you made so much progress before was that everything was a challenge. You met lots of resistance, and it was very frustrating and confusing and stressful at the time. You know, that resistance of like not being able to express yourself, not being able to understand things. Uh, it was frustrating, but you pushed through it. And now there is less resistance now that you're at this sort of plateaued level, but you have to keep pushing. So that means challenge yourself, push yourself out of your comfort zone uh, and do anything that's going to bring that resistance back. And that could be things like, you know, teaching the language to someone else. Try teaching English to someone. And you'll find that suddenly you need to really become very, very familiar with the grammar and the vocabulary. You need to be uh, really on top of your English if you're going to teach it to someone else. And if you don't have anyone to teach or if you think your English isn't really good enough to teach someone, you could at least imagine that you're going to teach someone. So prepare yourself as if you're going to teach a, a particular piece of language. Um, because honestly, that is a great way of really kind of getting in depth with a language point, imagining that you're going to have to teach it to someone else, because you will then learn it a lot more carefully, because uh, you're, you know, you're going to be judged on your ability to teach it. Um, you, you should find your weaknesses, like locate the weaknesses that you have and push them. And I'll give you some advice on how to do that in a moment. Uh, obviously, don't give up. Um, you know, you've got to try and push yourself into a challenging zone and don't give up. Um, you could jump in at the deep end and try to swim. So that means, for example, maybe if you get the opportunity, you should sort of sign up to some kind of social club with a bunch of native speakers. So if you're in a town where they have uh, meetup events, go, go to meetup.com and see if there are any events uh, in which there are native English speakers in your area. And just go along, join the meetup, even though you won't know anyone and it's all going to be in English. Just try and deal with it, you know, learn how to do something in English. Go to yoga classes in English or go to like um, pottery classes or something um, and just des just try and survive. You could try and do voluntary work. Anything that involves English in your area, just get involved and, and don't be shy because being shy and being uh, having no confidence will stop you. So you need to actually push yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, habit is the third thing. Habit. You need to make, uh, you need to add a lot of these things into your daily routine. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm talking to you about lots of things that you can apply to your life that are going to improve your English. But honestly, how many of you are actually going to do these things? How many of you will do all of these things? Now, I think it's probably not many of you because I know that people are creatures of habit. Um, we are all creatures of habit and I'm no different because I know all of this stuff, okay? And how much of this do I apply to my French? 
Well, not very much. It's only a small portion. That's a complicated reason. I'm not sure why, uh, but it's about habit. Um, so you do need to try and just get some of this stuff into your daily life. Um, now, you will probably listen to this episode and agree with me, but you, you, you might not take action. But right there, that is where the difference is between progress and not progress. It's about choosing to do even a couple of these things and you'll be on the right path. Um, just make a few little changes and do them regularly and it should become part of your habit. So just build habits into your life. Next thing is exposure. I've talked about this on the podcast quite a lot. It's important to expose yourself to lots of English. Uh, but think about the types of English that you're exposing yourself to. So you need to um, get exposure to some comprehensible input combined with some stuff which is on the verge of what you don't understand. So you need to sort of mix it up with stuff that you understand and stuff you don't understand. Because research has shown that listening to English that you understand is vital. You've got to try and listen to things that you can understand uh, because that's absolutely vital to your natural process of, of sort of acquiring the language. So, um, you know, listening to my podcast or listening to any other podcast for learners of English which are uh, understandable for you uh, should be the bedrock of, let's say, your listening exposure to English. But you should also try to listen to things which you don't really understand or which are on the edge of, of what you understand. Um, so uh, that's, you know, stuff that's hard to follow. Um, so uh, that means reading and listening to content designed for native speakers. Um, and it could be, you know, other podcasts for native speakers, uh, documentaries on YouTube or whatever. Um, so I suggest that you could get an audio book, get some real books for native speakers, listen to BBC radio or BBC podcasts, subscribe to podcasts for native speakers. And um, if you're wondering which uh, podcasts for native speakers you should uh, listen to, um, I did a couple of episodes, uh, I don't know when it was, a year ago, a couple of years ago, called Other People's Podcasts, in which I made a couple of recommendations of my favorite uh, podcasts, which are not for learners of English. And I'm planning to do Other People's Podcasts number three, in which I talk to you about some of my favourite uh, podcasts, which are not about learning English, but just general general podcasts. Or we could go back to the example of like the motorbike thing and just um, just like find a podcast about motorbikes or whatever it is that you list you want to listen to and mix it up. You know, like listen to uh, stuff like Luke's English podcast and also listen to the more complicated stuff as well. Uh, but choose something that you genuinely want to listen to. Don't just choose something that you think is for studying. Like, you know, most people, when I meet, you know, when I meet most people and I say, you know, you really should, you know, listen to podcasts, they're good for your English. Most of these people then just subscribe to like the BBC News podcast. But honestly, really, I mean, how, how many of you would actually listen to a, a news podcast in your own language? Most of the time we listen to things like comedy podcasts or we listen to interview podcasts in which, you know, you listen to interesting people talking to each other, uh, or we listen to podcasts about extraordinary things like, you know, podcasts, uh, documentary podcasts about crime stories or things like that. Um, so, you know, use the same criteria for choosing an English podcast. Don't just choose the BBC News, but, you know, search a little bit more 
and find something that a bit more enjoyable to listen to. Now, hopefully on Luke's English podcast, I kind of combine those things a bit because I do these episodes where I'm talking uh, on my own and I imagine that these ones are easier to understand. But then regularly, I try to bring guests onto the podcast and have a natural conversation with them. And I expect those ones are slightly more difficult to listen to. Um, But if they're enjoyable, for example, if it's a a chat with Amber and Paul, uh, those conversations are very quick and there's lots of, you know, um, like natural English that's not being graded flying around. But because, I I hope because you enjoy it, um, it sort of allows you to keep listening, right? Okay. Um, Next thing is about vocabulary. Um, You should keep an organized notebook for vocabulary. And that means, you know, don't just write a list of words in English and then their translations in your language. You need to try and, you know, write your words with an example in English and maybe uh, some notes about how it's pronounced and then uh, meaning. And then, for example, other words that commonly go with that word. Try to write down phrases, not just individual words. But also for remembering vocabulary, obviously, you need to look at your vocab notebook again and again and again and go back and, you know, look at it again, review. But you need to think of some clever ways in which you can remember new words. So you need to think outside the box a little bit when it comes to remembering words. And you should be using some mnemonic techniques. Okay, now mnemonic techniques are proven to work again and again and again. But how many of us actually use them to remember words? Not many, I imagine. Um, So it, it can't be understated that mnemonic techniques will help you to remember words. In fact, it's really, it's the only way to remember lots of new stuff. Um, now, again, I've got another episode that you could listen to, which which is called Memory, Mnemonics and Learning English. And you can find that in the episode archive as well. Um, and that goes through lots of specific things about using mnemonics to improve your English. Uh, basically, the trick with remembering vocabulary with mnemonics is like two things, basically. The first thing, you need to link the new memory to an existing memory. Find some connection between a new thing and an existing thing. For example, if you're learning a new word in English, does that word sound a little bit like another word in your language? Or does that word remind you of something that's already in your mind? And if that's the case, combine those things together in some way, even if it's a ridiculous thing. Like, you need to find a connection. Let's say, you know, the new word sounds a bit like the word in your language, and then you need to create an image in your mind of those the the meaning of those two words together combined in a very vivid thing, okay? And that's going to help you to remember them. I do that with students' names. You know, I'm learning students' names all the time, and and some names are difficult to remember, um... And I have to just try and, you know, link them to things that mean something in English. And I had a student from Turkey whose name was Tuche. Now, I've, I still think I pronounced that wrong, but um, it's more or less all right. Tuche. And um, I was like working with her to try and remember her name. And in the end, I came up with two chair, like two chairs, two chair. And I just, you know, thought of her in the classroom with two chairs and it stuck. And so Tuchet, that was her name. Um, you know, just stupid things like that. They seem stupid, but actually they work. So that's the first thing. Link the new memory to an existing memory. The second thing, make new memories visual. You need to create visual, vivid pictures in your mind. 
and if possible, attach this new memory to a space that you know in the wheel in in the real world. Okay. Now, again, this sounds a bit strange, but it's proven to work because if you can attach a new word to an existing word with a very vivid picture connected to a physical space that you know well, like your house or a, or a room, then the memories will stick like glue because our our memory of physical spaces is much more reliable and much stronger than our memory for abstract things. So link new memories to existing memories and physical places that you know well, and you'll find that the words stick. Um, go back to my episode called Memory, Mnemonics and Learning English to find out more specifics on that. Okay, so that was memory. Next thing, measure yourself, measure your progress. Not measure yourself with a ruler, uh, but measure your progress, yes. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Um, I'm just interrupting myself here because um, this recording um, ended up being quite long. So I, I ended up talking for about an hour and a half on this subject because I've got so many things to say about uh, getting out of the intermediate plateau. So what I've done is uh, I've chosen this as the point at which I'm going to cut this episode in half. Uh, so that's the end of part one, okay? Uh, now, I hope that you've managed to keep up with it all so far and that you're not being overwhelmed by too much information or anything like that. I think that um, there's lots of good advice to be taken from this episode. Um, and I'm now going to put episode up, uh, episode number two online as well. So you should be able to listen to that straight away. Okay. I've just decided to split it into two just to make it a bit more manageable for you, okay? As ever, I'm always interested in reading your uh, comments and things. And if you have other things to add, um, additional stuff um, other than just the things I've mentioned, then please do write your comments on the website. Okay, then I'm now going to stop talking and then you can listen to part two, okay? All right, then. Good. I haven't finished yet because the music hasn't stopped. I have to keep talking for another 10 seconds because otherwise it's going to be awkward to just sort of cut the music off and then play the jingle. So I'm now talking over this just simply for editing reasons. Okay, here we go. All right then. So I'll speak to you in, in part two. Thanks for listening. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. 
Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.